Friends, it's so good to be with you. If we haven't met before, my name is Colin. I'm one of the pastors here at Branches, and we're just delighted that you're here on this Mother's Day. As Kayla mentioned, it's a day of celebration for the mothers in our lives, and we also recognize that everyone's situation is different, and that uh, for some of us, somebody else mothered us, or for some of us, we have a difficult relationship with our mothers, and so today is a complicated day, but we acknowledge and we hold in the light today those people that have raised us and cared for us. And so as we keep that in mind, as we enter into this second week of the series called Subtract, we're talking about less heartache, how we can subtract heartache and pain and suffering from our lives uh, so much as we can do that to ourselves. And so we're hearing this good news, this promise, this proclamation from Psalm 147. It's this ancient poem of consolation for people that felt heartache and pain. And it says this about who God is. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. For he's gracious and a song of praise is fitting The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lift ups the downtrodden. He casts the wicked to the ground. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Uh, Friends, I want to give you another opportunity to check in. We'll put the QR code up on the screen and we'll remind you that if you want to uh, take some pictures after for Mother's Day, uh, you'll get an email if you check in today with the folder with all those pictures. So the incentive for you to check in today uh, that you'll get those photos. So we'd encourage you, there's going to be a photographer out there. We'll get those sent to you. You can also feel free to use your phones and get a picture with you and your family, whoever you're with today uh, in celebration of this day or just something to, to keep. We're so glad that you're here. We're continuing in this series called Subtract. Last week, we talked about less distraction and we want to subtract from our lives the things that draw our attention, that catch our attention. We live in an attention economy, and there's so many things, people, ideas, places, events, whatever else, capturing our attention, that want our attention. And if we want to follow Jesus, we want to begin and end with centering ourselves on who Jesus is and Jesus' character and putting him at the center of our attention so that when we set out into the, set out into the world, when those things are vying for our attention, the first thing that we see is Jesus, and so that's what we talked about last week. And this week we're talking about uh, less heartache, less pain, less suffering. And it's a tall order because there's no like, here's top 10 tips not to suffer. because we inevitably face it. We inevitably, inevitably face pain, and many of us maybe are even feeling pain in this very moment. And so it's how do we deal with that pain? How do we deal with that heartache? Does the Bible have anything to, to say about our heartache and our pain and our suffering in this world that we can alleviate it for ourselves or alleviate it for others or ultimately rely on God for its alleviation? So we're talking about that today. Um, and I've just been reminded as I was preparing for this sermon today, of how much I love this season that we're in. As I was preparing to talk about pain and suffering and heartache, I was just full of joy. Last week, uh, confirmation happened here at at St. Luke's on this campus, and so we're so stoked for the students that went through confirmation and kind of made this public affirmation. I have like really warm memories of my confirmation, and all my friends and peers going through it together, and my sister and I were twins going through it together, and just this making this public affirmation. And I I can confess, and I can say that's really the first time that I that I held on to faith that I really would say that I was a Christian that I believed, and I look back on that time fondly. My mentor during confirmation, Danny, uh, just had a huge impact in my life, and 
he passed away a few years ago, and so every time I see these confirmands go through confirmation, I'm reminded of Danny and those fond memories of going camping in Arkansas and all that I did in, in confirmation. And I also love this season because aside from today, uh, there's beauty coming from the earth. <laughs> Uh, there's this little patch in the house that Landon and I live in where some snapdragons must have been planted and they come up and when it's gloomy, they're droopy, but on a sunny day, they look so beautiful and vibrant and it brings me a lot of joy. Uh, my mom and my sister, uh, older sister, their birthdays are in June, or I mean in May, sorry. Uh, so we've just had their birthdays, so that's great. My niece, Molly, her birthday just happened. My birthday is around the corner. That's exciting always. Um, people's graduations. I like see all these people, they're graduating and they're talking about which schools they're going to and that just reminds me of my college years and meeting Landon in college and I'm full of joy and warmth because of that. It's a really wonderful season. It's, it's a season for me when I look at I mean, this, even just summer coming, a season of possibility. Uh, we leave Easter and then newness comes and we get on the other side of Easter and, and, and beauty springs forth. We look on the other side of Easter and it's a season of possibility, of confirmation, of graduation, of marriages and births and new life and excitement in the world. When I was in seminary, uh, I was graduating around this time a handful of years ago and I was sitting with my classmates, and because I was in graduate school, we had a university-wide graduation, as many places do, and then a school-specific graduation. So the university-wide graduation for Emory is like out on uh, this lawn, and there's just like tons of students, all the undergrads, all the uh, graduate students, all of them out on the lawn. And then the, the seminary graduation was at Glen Memorial Methodist Church there on the Emory campus with just the divinity students. And at the, the Emory one, the general one, is a jam-packed full of people. That year, the speaker, they always like pull out all the stops for the speakers at these things. It was Salman Rushdie, a uh, famous novelist. He, a visit, visiting professor at Emory occasionally. I didn't have him because he doesn't teach in the Divinity School. He's an atheist, so he wasn't really going in there. Um, and uh, he teaches literature and fiction, wonderful writer, and he's giving this really great speech and he's kind of telling his own personal life story and sharing, and we're all just grinning, like all these people, like, okay, then, you know, I knew I was moving to Arkansas, I had this appointment set up, I was excited, and he's talking about oh, all these possibilities before you, he's like really capturing the moment, like I described, yeah, like the, the new season is before us, we're ready to go. And he's like, all of you, all of you Emory graduates, you're leaving here today, and you have this, this thing that no one can take away from you. It's an Emory diploma, and it's going to be so useful, and, and you should be so proud of it, and it's going to get you a lot of places except for you. And he points over at the divinity students. <laughs> it was not nice. All, all of our smiles and excitement dropped, and he had to make his little dig about, like, your degrees are useless. <laughs> Everybody else's are great. Your degrees are useless. And it was deflating. So later that afternoon, I think the Divinity School faculty, some of whom were sitting on the stage next to Salman Rushdie, were like, we gotta repair this. <laughs> like we're giving them the diplomas, they've spent some money, like we wanna send them forth positively from this place, not like Salman Rushdie, the Salman Rushdie said, my degree is useless. <laughs> and so we go to the Emory graduate, or the Candler graduation, the Divinity graduation, we're sitting in the, in the sanctuary of the church and the person that preached uh, that day preach some words of Jesus in which Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. So far, so good, really encouraging. In this world, you will have trouble. But how that ends is, but I have overcome the world. It's good, good news. In this world, you will face trouble. In this world, you will hear Salman Rushdie. <laughs> but I, Jesus, have 
overcome the world. And then from there, really, the possibilities opened up. I see my peers, I'm so excited for them, all doing these really wonderful things. But I have overcome the world as preceded by, in this world, you will have trouble. So, so, so when we face possibility, we have to entertain the fact that the possibility doesn't just include good things, it also includes the inevitability of pain and suffering. It includes the inevitability of heartache, and it includes the inevitability of disappointment of a job or a relationship or something that you're expecting doesn't happen. In this world, you will have trouble, but Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And if we could break down um, that trouble that we face, I think I'd break it down into three kind of distinct categories. Let's tackle the easiest one first. The first one is like internal self-imposed heartache. Um, that that we, we choose to endure heartache uh, maybe for the sake of our personal martyrdom or it makes a good story or maybe we, we can't quite let something go. I'm reminded of this story Ron Rollheiser, this Catholic priest, tells when he was in Vancouver teaching in, in Vancouver, uh, Canada. He had a man come up to him after some lecture he gave. It was like 50-year-old man said, hey, I, I need to ask you something. I need to tell you something. He told this, this story about how he was a hockey star in Canada. Like, everybody plays hockey there, so he, like, really stood out. And uh, he, he played hockey. He was really, really good, and he actually got drafted to play professional hockey. And so the possibilities cracked open. And he was dating this girl, and he was going traveling all over the world with his hockey team, but he didn't start, and then he stopped playing at all, and then he was benched for a long time, and then he kind of bounced around in the minor leagues for a while, and then he got dumped, and then he left hockey, and he got some normal job, and he moved back to his small town in Canada where everybody knew him, and actually everybody treated him as a hero, but he was broken and hurt. And in that, he fell in love and got married, and he was promoted in his job, and he became very successful, and people still thought he was a hero. And his daughter graduated from high school. He's telling Ron Rollheiser that as he watched his 16 or his 18-year-old daughter graduate from high school, all he could think about was hockey. <laughs> he was seeing his daughter's possibility, uh, and he thought about his own disappointment. And he said to Father Rollheiser, like, I know that's so dumb. My wife is beautiful and amazing. My daughter is incredible, and I'm so proud of her, and I feel so stupid that all in that moment, that was her moment, all I could think about was myself. And self-imposed. <laughs> and he couldn't shake it, and Ron Rollheiser kind of gave him this guidance, and he was telling this group of people, I was listening to the story, that you should live the life you're given, not in a kind of resignation sort of way, but in a way that Think of all the gifts and the, the things that you have. Think of all the, the gratitude that we sang about today that you should lift up to God, that you should live with the spirit of the life that you have, not the life that you've lost. But that first, you should grieve the life that you lost. And you, you let it die. You may have a little funeral for it. The things aren't that way anymore, and you can let it go. Really simple example of this, as I've shared this before, my friend Paul, uh, he's like me, that at night... Uh, I become despairing and hopeless. <laughs> uh, I can wake myself up at 3 a.m. and be like, you're the worst person in the world, and nothing you ever do works out. And I'm just like this, you know, you'll start an emo band tomorrow, and I'd, it'd be great. Um, and Paul's mom, when he would start despairing like that about his failures and flaws, would say, you know, the bad things come out at night. 
So his, her advice to Paul, and I hear it all the time to myself, is go to sleep. <laughs> Let it go. You know, Jesus was on this boat, and this storm came. The rain came, winds blew, and the disciples were trying to wake him up. He was asleep while the storm was going on. So, you know, famous verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. Equally important, Jesus slept. Like, sleep on it. The bad things come out at night. Let it go. It's self-imposed. Let it go away. So that's the simplest one. Let's tackle that one. The second one is external hurt and heartache, but things for which if we gathered around together, if we really powered ourselves by one another in community and solidarity with collective action, we could alleviate. I'm reminded of Christian history. Tom Holland, I mentioned him last week. This incredible uh, historian who's not a Christian himself identifies that human rights and all these human rights movements in the world came from a Christian worldview. And when Christians bound together and put hand in hand and put their divisions aside and their partisan uh, divisions aside, we'll talk about that in a few weeks, buckle up, uh, <laughs> they were able to do so much more together than they were able to do individually. The civil rights movement began and ended in the church. We like to talk about Dr. King, we forget to talk about Reverend King, who was rooted in the way and the life of Jesus together collectively, they alleviated uh, so much hurt and heartache in the world and still have so much yet to be done. My friend Wallace was once asked by somebody like, if you could sum up your political persuasion or identity, how would you describe it? And I love it, and I'm gonna copy it for the rest of my life. His political persuasion, I mean, you could take this on either side of the aisle, if this is like pure capital P, what politics should be. He said, my political persuasion and ideology is, it doesn't have to be this way. That's good. <laughs> And this external heartache that like, we can all recognize like, these things are happening, they don't have to. They don't always have to be this way. If we, if we gather together, if we put our forces together, we could alleviate so much pain and suffering in the world. And the good news is, you look at the surveys, the church does, but we could do so much more. There's external things that we can do collectively. There's individual pains and heartaches that we can get, just let go. But I think more than that, when we think about alleviating pain and heartache, there's those things that we just can't let go. This is the third category. Those things that aren't of us, are external, are outside of us, things that we can do nothing about and we can't help but be in pain about them. And to tell someone just like, just grieve it and get over it is unhelpful. <laughs> to tell someone just to go to sleep and move on is unhelpful. To, to just tell somebody to be in community, if you just gather together, you won't hurt anymore. Not true, unhelpful. And I think when people talk about like, how is there pain and suffering in the world if there's a loving God, I think most of the time, the pain and suffering they're talking about is this third category, that like, no matter how hard I try individually, it still hurts. No matter how much I gather with other people or go to counseling or get in community or sit in a circle or share with my wife or whatever else, it won't go away collectively. External hurt, ex external pain, external heartache, how do we have less of that? I just wanna show my cards here and say like, I don't have an easy answer because there is no easy answer. And if anybody gives you an easy answer for your pain and heartache, it's not the right answer. It's not a good answer, it's not a helpful answer, and it won't do you any good. Billy Abraham uh, is a professor at SMU and he just passed away a few years ago, uh, Wesleyan Methodist theologian and historian. Hard, difficult, um, pointed Irish man, and because of his accent, he could get away with it. And uh, he had a son named Timothy who unexpectedly passed away. 
And he wrote this really wonderful book, and I'd recommend it to you, called From the Ashes. And um, he has faith that I aim to have, but I don't quite have yet, because he has experienced some of the most deepest pain and heartache in his life in the loss of his son, who he prayed for to live, and he didn't. Uh, who he prayed for to have a little more time as he was overseas to come see him, and he had a little bit of time, but not enough, and he was in pain. And at his funeral, Billy Abraham said, this is the best of all possible worlds. There is no lost good. Incredible. And I, I, like I said, I'm not quite there yet, but I think what he's getting at, what he's pointing to, the good news that he gives me is this, it's like this Corey Tinboom illustration she, she gave in this speech about if you're on the train and you go through a dark tunnel, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off the train, you trust the conductor. And again, it's not an easy, simple, uh, one day this, one day that sort of thing, get over your sort of pain, but it's a clinging, it's a holding on to. In the Wesleyan tradition, in our family of Christianity, we have this thing called the means of grace. The ways that we experience God's grace with us and for us and in us. And we're doing several on Sunday morning. Uh, Singing of songs is a means of grace because we hear the good news that God loves us and cares for us. And we're gonna do one together here in a minute that we experience God's grace in the taste and the sweetness of the bread and the cup that he's good and he's good for us and cares for us and loves us and sees us. And when we read scripture, when we read the psalm together and it says he binds up the brokenhearted, that's a means of grace. It's a gift to us to know that that's who God is. And even in the midst of all of our heartache and pain and suffering, whatever it might be, the encouragement is not that, okay, if you take communion or you say a little prayer or you read the scripture, or if you sing a song, it's going to go away. But that in it, in the means of grace, in the singing of a song, in the taking of the bread and cup, in the witnessing of a baptism, in a prayer, in the reading of scripture, we hear about the one, we draw close to the one, we cling to the one who alleviates heartache and suffering. Who in this promised vision of the future in Revelation 21 says, there will be no more crying or mourning or pain for these first things have passed away. Death is not the end, it's not the last thing. Life forever is the last thing. And so we cling, maybe even foolishly, to that promise. But when we take the means of grace, when we come to the table, when we sing together, when we gather in community, when we have holy conversation, we remember that. My friend Adam says this, and he knows heartache and pain. Uh, He knows suffering. He knows that suffering isn't alleviated in a moment, but in coming to the means of grace, he, he encounters this God who in Jesus Christ didn't, push away suffering, but took it on. Didn't shame and scorn the suffering of a cross, but, but, but bore it in his own body. And Adam said this, he says, hope is always close to the thing that denies it. Hope is always close. Healing is always close to the very thing that denies it. And why? How is that the case? How, is, how could that possibly be? How could hope and healing be close to the thing that denies us because Jesus is close? It's because in our prayers and in the places where we meet God face to face, he's there and he's not saying, all right, take a nap, get over it. (laughs) 
Okay, just say a little prayer and it'll all be gone. Okay, get together with a group of people, join a small group or a Sunday school class and your pain and suffering will go away. But he says, do all of those things, pray and sing and be in community together so that in your suffering, in your pain, in your heartache, you're not alone because you're with others, but ultimately you're not alone because I'm with you in it. And I'm not ignoring it and I see it and I hear it. And the promise is the thing that we hold fast to with hope and longing and maybe even a little bit of foolishness is that one day, this promise in the psalm will be totally complete. That this is the best of all possible worlds. That there is no wasted good. And that in Jesus, in Christ, in the means of grace, we can say he binds up the brokenhearted. Here's the encouragement today. And in that first category of pain and suffering that we may be self-imposing, you have to identify it first. And I encourage you just to give it, give it to Jesus, give it away, give it to the one who binds up the brokenhearted. Second, that category of things that like, okay, we know it doesn't have to be this way, what should I do about it? Follow him, follow Jesus. That he's probably wise and helpful enough that you can look at his example and say, okay, if we follow Jesus' example together, what could we do to alleviate pain and suffering that's needless, that doesn't have to happen, especially in a country like ours? And third, the, the last one, the hardest one, the one that I'm trying to learn as I was reading and studying and, and praying this week with my own pain and suffering is to rely, depend, lean on, ask for, weep to, lean into the one in Jesus who binds up the brokenhearted. No simple answer, no light switch, no pain today, healing in an instant tomorrow. But there is one with whom, in this moment, we can cling to, who loves you and cares for you and longs to alleviate your pain and suffering ultimately, who gives new life, and that on the other side of death, there will be no more. For in this world, you will face trouble. But... He has overcome the world. And thanks be to God for that. Let's pray.